You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Double Edge Double Bill. This week, Chucky will curse at your child's play. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I'm Thomas Mariani, and I'm your friend to the end. And I'm Adam Thomas, and I got nothing witty for this one, which is surprising because it's a, sort of a witty franchise, but... Eh. Well, I mean, it's because you know you don't fuck with the Chuck. That's true. You do not fuck with the Chuck. 100% true. Unless you're Justin Whalen for some reason. We'll, we'll talk about Mr. <laughs> Whalen in a second. Uh, but welcome everybody to the Double-Edged Devil Bill, uh, where every week we cover a randomly selected good and bad feature based around a topic that we decide. And we're still in the middle of October. We love uh, doing sort of horror-themed episodes. Adam and I are big horror fans. And uh, we like to do a franchise, at least one franchise, every uh, October as well. And uh, the big horror franchise we're doing this year, in honor of the very day... Uh, that this comes out uh, will be the day that the new uh, Chucky TV series is on Sci-Fi and USA, apparently. It's a weird, like, double thing. I'm not sure. But point is, we'll be talking about the Child's Play franchise, which I would say of, like, the sort of big guys you got in the 80s where you got, like, your Nightmare on Elm Streets, your Friday the 13th, your Halloween, which obviously started in the 70s, technically. A lot of those sort of big series that came out around that time. Chucky is one of those where, like, I think as a sort of, like, horror icon, he's respected, but he's put down compared to those uh, other icons in a way that I feel is maybe a bit unfair. Uh, Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. I actually, I think Chucky and Pinhead both sort of fit right in that category, which is really weird because, I, you know, even when you see, like, the posters or the, you know, the silly signs that they make where it's, you know, them doing mug shots or setting their drinking playing cards like the dog picture. i 100% have that t-shirt by the way that i was wearing earlier today yeah <laughs> but it's always like jason freddy leatherface and ghostface for some reason chucky and, and pinhead are usually never included and i i kind of don't get why um especially with chucky and child's play because i'd argue even though he's not necessarily my favorite of them all out of five movies that were theatrically released and then two on straight to video and now a series, he's probably one of the most successful ones. Yes, I, I would probably agree with that. Since 1988, when uh, Tom Holland made the first Child's Play, I would argue he's become like a figure that's at least, depending on which horror fan you talk to, is respected. Um, I think mainly because an innate fear of like sort of toys coming to life is a big thing. Like I remember when I was a kid, the ones that scared me the most were probably nightmare on Elm street, just because like, Oh, Freddie's going to get me in my dreams. I can't control that. That's upsetting. Or child's play only because I was such a huge, like toy story fan as a kid. And I love the idea of, Oh, my toys come to life when I'm gone. And then just the concept being introduced to me as a kid of like, Oh, Hey, they could come to life and maybe they want to hurt you. 
or do worse to you, <laughs> like, really screwed me up. I think screwed up a lot of kids around, like, my age. Even, Adam, you were around when the first Child's Play came out, and you were a young kid at that point. Was yeah. that fear palpable? Yeah. Uh, no. And I, I know that sounds crazy, but it was something that never really scared me, the idea of little dolls or small things never scare me. But I was, I know this sounds crazy, but I was always a taller kid. So, like, little things didn't intimidate me too much. So, for the idea of Chucky coming after me, I'm like, I would just pick him up and throw him out the window. Like, what's he going to do to me? So, for some reason, I mean, maybe that's because I was bullied a lot when I was a kid. So, it was kind of like, well, you know, the kids at school are mean to me, but these little toys, I rule over them with an iron fist. So, it's like, it just never really intimidated me, man. Is that maybe why, when we were doing our picking at the end of last episode for these two films, uh, you were a bit dismissive? as it were, um, saying, quote-unquote, that you really want to watch these, Thomas, because you love to expose yourself to horrible garbage. <laughs> yeah, I was a bit dismissive. No, and the thing is, I've always been sort of dismissive of this franchise. I was never a fan of the first movie, really, probably because I never found it scary. So it never clicked as me as being horror or horrific. I almost found it kind of kitschy and campy. And it is fun, uh, especially in the sort of the later movies, but it's just... Eh, it never did it for me, man. I think Brad Dorf's great. I think the vocal performance has always been solid. I think the visual effects have pretty much always been solid. It's just, I don't know, never connected with me. I mean, I remember when I was younger, I think it's maybe because I had such a fascination with, as we've talked about previously, like puppets and Jim Henson stuff, that Chucky was like fascinating to me, even though I was scared by him. I think it also didn't help that I have a weird situation where around the time when I was a kid... Um, this is going to be a rare Thomas references a sports thing uh, that happened. Whoa. I know. Whoa. 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 <laughs> Breaking ground on this episode. But at the time when I was a kid, uh, John Gruden was the coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At the time, um, everyone was like so fascinated with Gruden because uh, when he got angry, he had like his red hair and his like freckles and stuff. He looked like he was making like a Chucky face. So there was, like, so much bootleg, like, Bucks merchandise with fucking Chucky, like, wearing Bucks jerseys and shit when I was a kid. I just saw, like, at every, like, sporting goods store and even just, like, a Walmart, I would see these things. I'd be, like, terrified. I'd just be like, Jesus Christ, it's there and it's, like, in my hometown <laughs> because it's got Buccaneers jerseys. Like, I see people wear all the time. It was definitely a weird factor that just ingrained Chucky into my brain from uh, that particular age. But then when I actually got to the movies, I think I would argue Chucky and the Child's Play franchise in general is one of the more consistent slasher franchise series in terms of like of the eight movies there currently are. I would only say there's one outright terrible one, which is one of the ones we're going to be talking about today. All the other ones have at least something interesting to them, even if they're not great. I would say out of the eight, I would say there's two that are pretty much un terrible, but I, that's pretty good. For including a remake in there and everything, that six of them are pretty solid. Yeah, no, I think it's a solid franchise. I think it it builds on its mythologies really well. It's a natural sort of progression as far as the silliness and the character and everything like that. And then it gets brought back. You know, it's just, like I said, it just never connected with me. But I can still watch it and appreciate it for what it is and sort of the icon iconography of, of Chucky and things like that. Like, absolutely. I, I do think he deserves a spot up there. It's funny that you got, you know the chucks buck thing instead of like kelvin pissing on the chevy symbol oh, <laughs> like, that was also God. there there was a lot of that too that wasn't ex excluded from 
my childhood either. Um, but I think also with that, a lot of it has to be credited to the person who has been involved with most of these movies, except for the remake, Don Mancini, who's written like the other seven movies and directed the last three or so. And I think like having that one single voice is also so rare for a horror franchise. Usually, like Wes Craven will like came back for like two of the several Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, and Sean Cunningham came back for a couple to produce uh, the Friday the Thirteenth movies, shit like that. As opposed to like Mancini has really been like the the father of Chucky in so many ways, and like really developing that character, making him survive to where like that remake only came out like a couple of years ago. As opposed to like way before that point, we'd already gotten like a Friday remake, Nightmare on Elm Street, all this other stuff. Chucky has just like kind of lasted and really evolved with the times. I think that has. Yes, a lot to do with Don Mancini and, and sort of Don Mancini's own personality and, and what he's all about. I, I think he's a very progressive filmmaker as well. Right, of course, he's also a, a noted queer voice in especially mainstream mm-hmm. horror that we don't get as often. Obviously helped out by, like, as you mentioned, Brad Dorf is so great. My favorite thing about Chucky as a personality is he feels almost kind of like the blue-collar serial killer of those guys. Where, like, yes. um, you got, like, Leatherface or Jason, they're definitely very rural and you've got, like, uh, a Freddy who, while he was, like, a janitor or whatever in his previous life, he still at the same time had, like, a higher flute and sensibility about his, like, jokes or whatever. Chucky has this personality where, like, he'll go from maniacal killer to, like, Jersey asshole. He's just like, what the fuck's happening? <laughs> and I love that. I've worked with Chucky's before to, to various factories and stuff like that. A hundred percent. Every factory I've ever worked at, one of the Hilo drivers is a Ch- Charles Lee Ray, where he's, he's super nice and stuff. Then also he'll fly off the end of the handle and just spout expletives and just awful things. A hundred percent. But they're not killers, at least as far as you know. Well, as far as I know, I wouldn't be surprised. This is guy, Frank. Boy. <laughs> well, Frank, if you're listening, please don't come after him. But, we're here to talk about two specific films that we picked, like I said, at the end of the last episode. Uh, we had uh, Your Bad Pick, which was Child's Play 3. And then we had uh, My Good Pick, which is Curse of Chucky. And uh, yeah, we'll have a lot to say about uh, both of these. But we'll get the bad out of the way first and go chronologically first with uh, Child's Play 3. Left, 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 right, left. Welcome to Hell on Earth. You are, without a doubt, the most pathetic thing I have ever seen! It couldn't possibly get any worse. Wrong again, wimp. Chucky's back. A few years have passed. No, you're dead. We killed you. I'm new and improved. At Kent, we take bedwetters and turn them into men. Andy, how you've grown. (laughs) And this time... I really gotta get out of this body. He's looking for a new recruit. <laughs> now, just think. Chucky's gonna be broke. Child's Play 3. Look who's stalking. A haircut ain't regulation, soldier. Regulate this! Child's Play 3 came out August 30th, 1991, notably only nine months after Child's Play 2 in 1990. Um, it's almost as if this was... Can you tell? <laughs> are, you, are you saying this was a rushed production? I couldn't tell at all by how <laughs> half-assed this movie is. That's something Don Mancini has pointed out, that like he was tasked to start writing this movie even before Child's Play 2 came out. 
And he was, like, really also limited by the budget. Like, he had a lot, a lot of bigger ideas that he would later use in some of the other movies. Like, a big thing he wanted to do with this one was multiple Chuckies. And that ended up being axed because of budget. And so he's like, fine, I'll just save that for later. Which he would do in Cult of Chucky. Um, a much better film than this one. Uh, this one follows our main lead, uh, who is Andy Barkley, who was the kid in the first two movies, played by Alex Vincent, who, I want to say for the record, is... Maybe not one of the best child actors ever, but one of the cutest in those first two movies, especially the first one, where he can barely finish fucking lines because he's, like, out of breath. Oh, I know. It's so cute. Just like, Jackie said he was gonna kill me, Bobby. <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah, I know. He's got those big brown doe eyes and everything. Yeah, he's adorable. Yes. Um, but... Justin Whalen. Replacement, on the other hand, right? Yeah, Justin Whalen uh, um, is uh, playing Andy this time because this takes a huge time jump to where Andy was like eight or so in Child's Play Two, to now he is sixteen and off to military school, and it just so happens that Chucky shows up at that military school. He's shipped over there, and he starts causing chaos at this military school. And I referenced earlier the whole thing of, oh, I think there's only one that's outright just, like, not giving a shit and not that good of the Child's Play movies. Uh, spoiler, it's this one. Yeah. I think this is easily the worst one of the whole franchise. Man, uh, like I've said it before on the show several times and reference anything or other films and things like that. Uh, it, it, this is a cash grab of a movie, man. They, they, you could tell this was so rushed. And not a lot of prep went into it, and I'm I'm guessing probably a little bit of exhaustion on Dan Mancini's part and everything. And it's all on the screen. I mean, this is a fucking dumb movie. Even the kills are bad. Like, there's not even good kills in this movie. It's just quick, like, oh, slit his throat, done. And, and Justin Whalen, you know, not to shit all over him, uh, but I'm going to for a second. Uh, he's He's just such a boring actor in this movie and i don't give a fuck he's it's like following a piece of drywall around man you don't care but then again none of the characters in this are, are make you want to follow them except for maybe like winterhurst or whatever because he pulls that steve rogers moment at the end like that's funny <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> yes the nerd character who has an arc of just like i'm a coward well i'm not going to be a coward by Killing myself for everybody. Jumping out a live grenade. <laughs> so fucking stupid. It's like they got the idea, hey, we got this military school we can use, we can film in it. Write the movie that he's in military school. Uh, okay. Yeah, and let's just do everything you've seen in movies that takes place in military schools. Let's have, like, head cadet be a real jerk. Let's have him play war games. Let's have... You know, one of the guys who really likes to give them haircuts and all this stuff. It's just, it's all cliche, cliche, stereotype, cliche, boring kills. Done. I will give credit, at least to, you mentioned the haircut thing. Uh, Andrew Robinson, who you might recognize from, like, Hellraiser, um, as well as the original Dirty Harry, um, is plays the, the barber at the military school. And he is, like, almost bordering on, like, sexual fetish with how much he wants to cut these kids' hair. It's really unnerving. <laughs> it's so over the top when he walks through the fucking cafeteria he's grabbing hey, Monday Tuesday let it go Wednesday <laughs> like get the fuck out but he here. has like some life in him as opposed to like everyone else is just so running through the motions yeah I'd argue he's the only one in the whole cast yeah but even then you can tell like with that particular character there, it has like the, the display just how like kind of 
poorly baked this movie is in general is like him doing the whole presto you're bald thing several times just so we can have Chucky do the worst like one-liner in one of these movies of many in this one of like a serial killer one-liner which is like presto you're dead when he like cuts his neck what what is that it's nothing (laughs) it's literally nothing and then just where the nerd kid discovers it and doesn't say anything. And then he goes up there, and Andy's like, Ooh, what's wrong? You saw something. No, I didn't. I don't want to talk about it. Why? For the last fucking 45 minutes, this Andy kid's been trying to convince you this doll is real. Why don't you be like, holy fuck, dude, you're right. Like, I don't understand the logic behind that decision uh, at all. How did Chucky come back? Well, they have the opening sequence, which I'll admit that, like, I like the opening credit sequence of this movie of, like, Chucky kind of reforming. Because of the whole thing where, like, he his body from the end of 2 is, like, put on, like, the little mechanical, like, hand thing across, like, the factory. And some of his blood gets into the vat. So I guess that's how he gets brought back. Uh, yeah. All right. I mean, Why not? look, to be fair, <laughs> this series is not the most consistent with, like, the weird magic of Dembala or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. After a certain point, they don't give a shit. Like, that's the least of my problems. with As opposed to, like, when Chucky does come back... One, the animatronics aren't, like, bad, but they feel half-assed, especially after Child's Play 2, like, did such a massive improvement on the animatronic stuff. And I don't think Brad Dorff's half-assing it either, but he's just given, like we said, just such shitty material with that. Or the whole thing where they're talking about uh, the, the one kid, uh, the little uh, boy who now Chucky's trying to get into is, like, a black kid. And he says, like, hey, Chucky's gonna be a bro. It's just like, oh my god. What is this? What is this? Yeah, with Tyler. Yes, uh, Jeremy Silvers is Tyler, the replacement cute kid. Not an uncute kid, but nowhere near like Alex Vincent. No, he's he's, he's fine. It's just, like I said, the thing is, if this movie had really good kills and good gore or anything like that, it I could go with it and, and sort of follow it, uh, you know, have fun with it. They don't even give you any of that. It's, like I said, it's just simple throat slashes. And stabbings, basically, and that's about all you get. Yeah, also one very mean-spirited one where they shoot the Travis Fine, like, cadet character with, like, the whole, mm-hmm. like, uh, weird, almost, like, really shocking, like, uh, in the middle of the war games, it becomes, like, a fucking school shooting thing, unintentionally, um, which just, it felt, like, really weird and mean-spirited, even though, like, that character is, like we mentioned, like, the thinnest version of, like, the Arlie Ermey drill sergeant guy, which is also weird because Travis Fine looks like he's only, like, a year older. Than fucking Andy, which is just like I don't believe it. I don't believe that he's like this big of a hard ass in the way of like an Arlie Army because he's like a child, right? And then to talk about someone who also looks way older than Andy, these really forced to put upon love interest. Yes, I I completely agree with that. Perry Reeves as Kristen was just uncomfortably older, and I think I looked this up that Perry Reeves was She's like twenty years old. Yeah, she was twenty when yeah, he she... was like sixteen or so. It's especially when they kiss, it's really creepy. Oh, yeah, I know, I know, and it just comes out of left field, and it, like there's no point to it. Like, why even go that route with it? It's unnecessary. I could, I could see making. Andy sort of like maybe lust after her a little bit or be into her because he's a 16 year old boy but for her to just be like I'm gonna take charge and kiss you it doesn't work at all at all and she's fine in it I don't want to say nobody's committed I just you could tell it was a rushed thing I don't think they had enough time to sort of play around or figure out what their characters were 
everybody's just one note. Everyone's very much on autopilot. Yeah, I think that's a problem. Um, especially when like the few things I'll say I kind of like about this movie. I do kind of like the opening bit involving um, Chucky killing the good guy doll guy, the uh, like Mr. Sullivan. Yeah, Mr. Sullivan, Peter Haskell, who was in Child's Play too. So he kills that CEO at the beginning. I think that's a decent sequence. And then also the whole haunted house thing at the very end uh, where they're at the, uh, the carnival. Though that just made me realize like, why didn't this story revolve around Chucky at like a traveling carnival? Yeah, what the fuck? That would make way that more sense. Great. He would disguise himself as part of like the fucking uh, ski shooting or whatever as a prize. And they would have gone to like yeah. Andy's neighborhood or whatever. And he would have like been there. and would have been like a like the fun house, but with fucking Chucky running around all these cheap ass carnival rides. Yeah, or even the bit from like Seed of Chucky the beginning. Maybe you'd have hooked up with some fucking grease ball and done a ventriloquist act. Right, something like that. Yeah, that you, would have been like that would have been a much more fun movie. <laughs> that's what I said. It feels like they had the, the location that they could use, so they pigeonholed it to be a military school thing. That's the only excuse for me. Because other than that, it's completely unnecessary. Yeah, uh, it just felt like they were really unconfident with Child's Play at this point as a franchise. So they're just like, oh, we gotta rush out another one. As opposed to like, no, you guys took like two years between the original and Child's Play 2, and that worked out great. So why don't you just do the yeah. same fucking thing? It's so funny, but that is not uncommon with, you know, horror franchises especially. Look at the turnaround between Nightmare 5 and 6. Or, like, Halloween 4 and 5 was also very similar. Yeah, like, there were literally posters for Part 5 before Part 4 even premiered. You know what I mean? Like, coming this month, and you're like, holy fuck. So, I mean, it's not uncommon, but the thing is... It, Apparently nobody learns from it because has anybody seen those ones? None of them are good. No. When yeah. you rush this shit, especially when like I think that's why I would still say this is easily the worst one. It's just because like even when a lot of people would say Seed is like the worst, and I've I rewatched all these movies in preparation for this episode. I still don't think Seed is quite a good movie, but Seed is not unambitious and at least has like some interesting, especially head of its time things. With, like, gender, with, like, the Glenn Glenda character. That makes it miles ahead of this movie. Oh, I gotta agree with you. See, before I rewatched uh, most of these, I would have said Seed 100% over this one. Uh, but after going back and rewatching them, I, I went back and I've watched, well, all of them, except for the remake. This one is easily the worst. I agree with you. Five is not a good movie. Seed is no good. But it's trying, man. It's shooting for the moon on, in every way. Like, trying to do the comedy, the meta thing, the gender thing, all of that stuff. Like, it's trying a bunch of shit. Just none of it really lands. Whereas this one isn't trying at all. For the record, I'm more just like, it's an uneven movie as opposed to an outright bad movie with Seed. Uh, hashtag get Glenn and or Glenda back into the Child's Play TV show. I want it. I, I legit They will. Them. Yeah. They, I think they will. Look, I would want that over, like, the references to Kent that show up in some of these later movies. Where it's like, does anyone care? Is anyone going to care fucking, like, no. one of the, like, oh, Perry Reeves is back, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, but to be fair, the only callbacks that I even noticed to Kent, for the most part, is a sweater in a frame. Right, right. But I'm just saying, like, I don't think they need to do, like, what they're doing with, like, the Kyle character from Child's Play 2 coming back or some of the other, like, back and forth references they've had to the other movies. This is the one you can pretty much skip. I think it's because, like, another weird thing yeah. revisiting these movies is how much, like, Mancini likes to play with, like, doing sort of couplet movies with, like, mm -hmm. the writing where it's just, like, one and two feel of a piece and then Bride and Seed feel of a piece and then Curse and Cult feel of a piece. He likes to kind of 
take a bit of a break and write like two movies basically that kind of like complement each other and show where Chucky is in this point in this particular decade or whatever he's doing. And I think that is like a much smarter idea than as opposed to three just feels like it, it sticks out like a sore thumb and has no real like purpose in the series at all. Yeah, I'd say that's incredibly accurate, especially after rewatching. I know people who are fans of this one, uh, not like a lot of people, but I do know of people who really sort of defend this one for some reason. And, you know, that's fine. If you like it, I, that's cool. But I, I think, you know, I never really was able to place how I felt about it until you said exactly what you just said. I, I think it feels completely out of place and, and sort of off on its own compared to the entirety of the rest of the franchise. And it also, I think, has a lot to do, if you watch them in the entirety, where come six and seven, that it's the original actor back is Andy. Right. All right. It's child's play. It's horror. I get they pump them out because people want to see them and, and they do did make big money at the box office. But, you know, this is definitely one of those ones, like I said, not only does it feel like a cash grab, but it also feels soulless where it feels like, you know, put it out so we could print it on T-shirts. Don Mancini feels like his hands were tied behind his back and really like taken away from him, whether that's true or not. I, I'm not 100% sure, but this just feels like no care was given behind any bit of it. Yeah, I, I believe, like he said, that also Jack Bender, who directed this movie, has said as much that he felt kind of like really handled by the studio in the way of just like trying to rush this out. And I think it, another big part of that, as you mentioned, like the Andy character, what I love about these Child's Play movies is how much like they usually care as much about like the human protagonist as much as they do about like the doll characters. There are some exceptions, like, yes. say, Catherine Heigl and What's-His-Face and Bride of Chucky, who are, like, the worst part of that movie. And every time they're sure. around, like, I, I really hate them. <laughs> Just, like, get back to Tiffany and fucking Chucky doing fun yeah. shit. For the love of God. For the most part, Mancini knows how, like, hey, look, in horror franchises, we I think you should care as much about, like, the villain, especially as we keep going forward and making him more of a hero, as much as the actual human characters we've had. That's why when, like, uh, Andy shows up, in those later movies, doesn't feel as much like, oh, this is a cash grab, like a nostalgia bomb kind of thing. Like, oh, remember Andy? It's like, oh, no, we're actually caring about Andy at this point. Which like, it's not just, look, it's Andy. It's, oh, look, it's Andy. And he's totally fucked up by his past childhood and all this shit. As opposed to, like, with this movie, like, you wouldn't be able to tell that Justin Boylan has had much of any issue with Chucky. Like, when he shows up, just like, oh, oh, no, it's Chucky. There's no, like, emotional investment right. in, oh, my God, it's killer doll who terrorized me and drove me away from my mother. <laughs> Mm-hmm. killed my babysitter, tried to, you know, kill me so possessed me several times, attacked my mother, killed kids at the school I was going to. Every, not that he, he's just like, oh, is that the same one, I wonder? Like, Jesus, man, <laughs> for sure. Like, And then it's the, like the cat and mouse sort of game they try to set up inside the school where, you know, Chucky could be hiding anywhere and we don't know. Don't listen to him, Tyler, blah, blah, blah. Nah, man. You get off your ass and you find that fucking doll. Like, fuck that school. Find that doll. That thing's going to kill you, man. Also, at, at like a huge military school, it seems like the, uh -huh. the place where it would be least likely for Chucky to be able to like walk around unnoticed by anybody. 100%. You're telling me none of these fucking like MPs or, or you know, generals or anything are going to see this doll and be like, why does this thing keep fucking popping around? They just keep trying to throw it away and that's basically it. Like, it's just so... Honestly, my favorite kill is kind of like referencing that where like the main guy at the military school, like the headmaster, 
finds Chucky in his office and he dies from a heart attack. And Chucky's like, are you gotta be fucking kidding me? Is this what's happening now? That's the funniest bit. Like that's the, that bit felt like that's what was coming in the child's play franchise Mm -hmm. where he sort of gets, you know, really disappointed because he can't do the kill and stuff like that. Like, that was the most Chucky bit to me, that one scene. Right. Because even, I would argue, like, another big thing that I think worked for Child's Play a transition into comedy on, like, some of the other uh, slasher franchises is, like, the humor I felt was always kind of there, even in the original movie. There's enough humorous bits of just, like, acknowledging, like, oh, this doll is walking around and shit like that. As opposed to here, most of the jokes, besides, like, that bit that's kind of funny, come in the form of these one-liners, like, don't fuck with the Chuck, or what can I say, you can't keep a good guy down. All these things that, like, it feels like Brad Dorff's recording that for, like, the toy as opposed to the character in the movie. No, I agree. It's very slappily written, this one. Like I said, Chucky, it's it's Chucky, because it's Brad Dorff's voice, and it's the good guy doll and stuff. Like, it, it, it is Chucky, but it's, like, a shell of Chucky. Yeah, shell of Chucky. My favorite entry in the franchise. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, shout out to... I think this is my one of the better Chucky deaths in the franchise, where he always dies at the end. Him getting thrown to that fucking giant fan, I think is kind of, like, a cool death. Particularly, like, it. it's very sure that, like, I don't know if you're going to be able to, like, come back from this dude. It's uh, I get why it took, like, seven years for you to come back after this. Oh, I agree with you, and I do like it, too, because it's very sudden as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not this big, long, drawn-out thing. Now, Andy just fucking shoots his arm off and then basically cuts his hand off and he falls into this fucking thing. Like, it's not this big contraption that has to be used or none of the voodoo stuff or none of that. He just falls into a giant fucking turbine and gets destroyed. D- during this big, like, Halloween haunted house thing at the carnival, which looks cool. I like the production design stuff. The best one I've ever seen. I've been to those fucking well, type of rides at carnivals. They suck ass. That's what I was about to say. Like, it looks far too expensive. This looks like a big, elaborate, like, thing you would see at like at least a six flags as opposed to like a traveling carnival where just be like oh here's a wall with some like lightning on it and then a skeleton pops out of like a really bad makeshift coffin as opposed to like this is gigantic like a carnival barker isn't gonna like fucking be so committed like oh you know what this scythe on this grim reaper it has to be super sharp so it can cut this fucking doll's face Yeah, dude, it looks it looks like the fucking T Rex ride from the end of Martin Short's Clifford. A hundred percent. I was waiting to see Charles Grun just like, we're gonna keep going faster and faster on this ride. Um, Clifford, a movie we must talk about on the show at some point. Oh, Clifford, Lord. Clifford is fascinating, but anyway, we're getting too far off the beaten path. Uh, so let's do, I guess, some final thoughts then on Child's Play Three. Adam, final thoughts. If you watch the franchises as a whole, this one clearly is out of place for several reasons. Not even just the casting, the tone of it, the kills, the laziness of the whole thing. I would say if you are a franchise completionist, you could even skip this one and not miss a beat from two to four. Like this, it just it's unnecessary. Nothing happens in this movie other than the fact that there's a Kent sweatshirt in like the sixth movie that that makes a difference. Other than that, it doesn't matter. And even then, just be like, oh, he went to military school at some point, I guess. Yeah. Sure, that explains why he's, right. like, proficient with weapons or whatever. Sure, that explains enough about that. And, and yeah, I completely agree that if you're maybe inclined to watch these movies, uh, which most of them are on Peacock, as when we were recording this, mm-hmm. except for the first one because of the MGM weird rights thing, I guess, um, I would definitely say if you're in a crunch where you're just like, oh, I need to, like, can't, I have to skip one of these, this is easily the one to skip. There is not much you're yep. missing. If you want to skip this particular one, it's lazy, it feels very rushed, 
it feels like he doesn't have much empathy for the characters as much as the other ones do down to like Andy has like such a sad ending with this movie where it's just like oh he's gonna get dragged off by the cops and he has no proof <laughs> that like Chucky yep. did any of this I'm, where was that reference in some of these other movies like oh hey yeah Chucky tried to kill me in military school and I was in prison for like 10 years or whatever I mean I think they kind of allude to it in the, in the seventh one on the date or whatever they kind of allude to his entirely checkered past but yeah there could have been more I mean, they leave it vague enough where it could just be like, oh, when you were six and you said a doll murdered your babysitter. That's true. Uh, but anyway, anyway, yeah, Child's Play 3, very bad. Don't even bother if you're crunched for time. Uh, but before we get into our next feature, here is a promo for an ESO show you can queue up right after ours. Have you been searching for that one heavy metal podcast that covers all of your favorite geeky topics as well? Well, look no further. The Metal Geeks podcast is here to save the day. Whether you are into video games, films, comic books, theme parks, or even, yes, heavy metal, then the Metal Geeks Podcast is a place for you. Check us out on all of your favorite podcasting apps, and we are proud members of the ESO Network. Keep it geeky, and keep it metal. And now let's get into our good feature, Curse of Chucky. Who's it from? It doesn't say. We found him. Chucky's my friend till the end. Hey, wanna play? Good night, baby. Sweet dreams. Don't forget Chucky. <laughs> it's a doll. What's the worst that can happen, huh? So, uh, Curse of Chucky came out October 8th, 2013. Obviously, big jump from 1991 when uh, the last movie came out. So, briefly, um, after that, there was a long break until Bride of Chucky came out in 1998 and kind of relaunched the franchise, made it a bit more comedic. It was a pretty big success. Felt very much like in the wake of Scream. They kind of had to do something a bit different um, and make it a bit more, a bit meta, but also just more humorous in general. Made him a lot of money with that. And then uh, Seed of Chucky came out in 2004, uh, which, as you mentioned, is not well-liked, was not a big success in 2004. And ended up being the last, as of yet, theatrically released movie in the general continuity, besides, like we mentioned, Child's Play, the remake, came out in 2019. Uh, after Seed of Chucky kind of failed, there was a longer break than ever, with like nine years difference. Until eventually we got Curse of Chucky being released straight to video, which when I heard this was happening, like any horror fan, it was like, oh my god, that's that's the nadir. Now we're doing a straight to video movie. Chucky's gone downhill. It's going to be the new Hellraiser. Nothing good's going to come from it. I'm assuming Adam, were you similarly dismissive when you heard this was going to happen? Thousand percent. I thought exactly what you just said. It was like, oh well, I guess Chucky's gone the way of Hellraiser and Leprechaun. Yeah, Leprechaun's a more apt like comparison. Um, but but yeah, so it was just like whatever. It's not going to really be a thing. Um, and then I had heard this was surprisingly good, uh, but I didn't watch it until around uh, when Colt was coming out, which is when I watched most of these for the first time. Like, aside from the first Child's Play and Bride, which I had seen when I was much younger, um, I marathoned through these right before Cult came out. And Curse was just like, all right, whatever, we'll see how this is. And um, 
This movie surprised the fuck out of me because it's great. <laughs> mm-hmm. I bought it uh, day and date when it came out because uh, I was a physical media completionist. So I had already had like um, like the little box set that came out. And so I'm like, well, I guess I got to fucking get this one. It's not going to be good. I got it. I put it on. I'm like, okay. 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 All right. And then by the end, I'm like, this movie fucking slaps. <laughs> <laughs> you had those hand clap emojis ready. Yep. 100%. 100%. Yeah, this movie's fucking legit, dude. Uh, a... I'd argue this is the first time for me personally that it made it scary. Uh, and that has a lot to do with sort of the the house and the lighting and everything. And even the slight redesign for Chucky, he's a lot creepier and more sinister looking. Wonderful practical effects and also, you know, the animatronics. But where they specifically have like a little person in the faraway scenes dressed as Chucky, it's super effective, super well done. Uh, it, it's just... It's a really good movie, and and I by a putting Fiona Dorf in it, which obviously spread Dorf's daughter, but you know I know they did that as like a wink, uh, but she's really fucking good, and the fact that she's uh, paraplegic makes it even like more of a threat. Like oh no, like she keeps, how's she gonna get away? It's it's really fucking effective. This whole thing. Yeah, and I think especially with, like, Don Mancini being once again writer but directing as well the second time since Seed, I am just stunned by the improvement that he managed to have from mm-hmm. Seed to this movie. Because Seed definitely feels like it's a first-time director with way too much money, kind of like studio money, just to, like, do kind of, like, whatever he can and it feels messy. Versus this movie, it feels, like, so confident and so perfectly done. And we were like, the straight-to-video movie looks better than most of the other fucking movies in this franchise. Absolutely. And it's a stripped-down version. Um, Obviously, probably less budget. But I think the sort of failure of Seed and also knowing that this one's going to go direct-to-video and probably lesser budget sort of humbled him a little bit and made him really work to, like, oh, I'm going to make this as as good as I fucking can then. I'm going to make this scary again. And I, I mean, to me, it was a hundred percent of success in that aspect. Yeah. I, I think it, he knows like, okay, I have the f- things I'm available to serve that like necessities of other invention kind of thing. He really took that to heart here where it's like, okay, I have a few characters and I have this set. So I'm going to make this set look as good as possible, which it does. I love it. looks like this weird, almost like gothic, especially the, the color palette, where it looks so like gray and lifeless. Like, it really sets up the fact that like, Fiona Dorf's character at the beginning loses her mother in a horrible accident that later turns out to be a Chucky killing. But like, you can tell like the whole house feels like it's sapped of life. And like, she's just so lonely and out of it. And we were like, fits perfectly for her character. And also just in general... Like, Chucky doesn't really, he, there are hints of him doing things, you see, like, little bits and pieces, but he doesn't speak until, like, halfway through the movie, and I didn't quite miss him because I was so enthralled with this family drama. I was genuinely missed, like, all the characters in this movie are great, and I really want to follow them. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. And it was so smartly written, especially with the dynamic between the sister, the nanny, and the husband. Yes. Uh, the whole time you're like, oh, this fucking piece of shit, this piece of shit. And then when the ultimate reveal happens, you're like, oh, this is great. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> so good. It's so good. And then, you know, yeah, well, I put a nanny cam on the doll. What a cool idea that was, too. Even if it was set up just for the one scene where they're watching his point of view. Very fucking cool. 
Uh, yeah, no, I wanted to follow the whole family. And, and like you said, just the little bits you get at Chucky with him pouring the rat poison in one of the things of chili. Whose chili is it? Yes. You know, it's such a great thing. It's so cool. All of a sudden, the little girl is like, oh, it doesn't feel good. And, oh, I don't like it. But then it's like, yeah, it's just a little kid who doesn't want to eat. And ultimately, what happens to the fucking person who does get the chili is brutal. It's so That's fun. another thing also. It's like, this is maybe the goriest movie of, these, of this franchise, which is like astonishing. Yeah. Just the, the amount of blood that is used in this movie is stellar. Um, with particular, like you mentioned, sort of the priest character, which I love even with that whole dinner sequence. Everybody has a bit like that. Like the sister's like, oh, I, I can I get the salts. And some of the other people are like trying to kind of mask the idea that it's not that good. Like it's such a well done sort of almost like Hitchcock suspense scene. Where it's like, we know the bomb's under the table. Like, he, that quote of his. And we're just waiting, like, oh my god, who's gonna have the poison or whatever. And then the fact that it's like, Mar- uh, A. Martinez, as Father Frank has it, but that doesn't even matter, because later he's gonna get decapitated in the worst way. <laughs> the worst! He's gonna get decapitated and his hand cut off while it's still holding a rosary. Oh, but especially that it's like, he's still alive when we see him at the car wreck that happens. And the mm-hmm. one, like, overzealous cop is like, get that thing off of him. I don't know if I want to make that call. Do it. And he takes it off, and then his, like, neck is just cut when they move that shit, and then it falls over. Like, oh, oh my god. I know. You, you, you almost expect him to be like, tell Meryl I said to swing away. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a bit of those vibes. But yeah, even back to, like, the family, I, I really love the use of, like, not just Fiona Dorf, as you mentioned. Like, on paper, it's like, oh, this is, like, nepotism. She's going to be, like, a part of this franchise. Her dad's been a partner for years. But she totally earns it. It doesn't. She is a very talented actress who's able to, like, really be convincing as, like, a person who has a disability, but at the same time, it doesn't completely define her character. And people, like, completely right. doubt her all the time. Like, I love that dynamic with her and that uh, Daniel Bisuti, who plays uh, Barb, the sister. Like, that is a constant thing. Like, she's constantly, like, uh, patronizing her sister because, like, oh, you're in the wheelchair. I have to help you out. And you, that dynamic feels real. It doesn't feel like they don't love each yeah. other, but it feels like they genuinely have had this for years, this back and forth. And that has that extends, like you mentioned, with, like, that scene where her and fucking Jill kiss is, like, the perfect reveal. It's such a good, like, oh, oh man, this, this like, cliche plot line has been completely turned on its head, and now I'm like, oh, okay, let's see how this goes. Like, I'm invested in this weird soap opera way in fucking the Chucky movie. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with you. And, you know, the thing about Fiona Dorf, just throw it back to that, too, I thought the same thing, like, oh, okay, this, like you said, feels like a bit of nepotism and everything. But it just, you know, not to talk about the, the following film, but once the ultimate thing that happens in the sequel to this one happens, it's kind of brilliant casting choice, just even for that sort of where they take the character. And you, I would have never expected it while watching this one. So, but that's what made this one really cool too, as far as Fiona Dorf, because she, she earns every bit of being in this movie. I mean, she might've got her foot in the door because of who her father is, but she's fucking solid as hell in this movie. I'd be hard pressed to pick a weak member of the cast, unless you want to pin it on the little girl because she's a child actor, but even then she's fine. We as the audience know who's doing this, but the people in the house, it becomes like a murder mystery whodunit. And the whole time we're like, it's the fucking doll. Like we're right there with Fiona Dorf. Like it's the fucking doll. 
But everyone else is like, it was you, it was you, it was you. Right, which in, in other movies, it could be so tired. Because some of the other, like, especially, like, 3 even does a bit of that. Where it's just like, come on, Andy, or whatever. Like, they, they cut, even, like, uh, the next one, Cult of Chucky, also does that. But I think this is the perfect way to do that. Where we firmly say, like, oh, no, Chucky's around. Chucky is a person. He can move. We can see that, like, right from, even before that with the rat poison. Like, when the, uh, the little girl discovers him in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. Like, you can tell me, like, okay, Chucky is a real presence. He is still, we know he is pulling the strings. But it's just a total case of like, what, did no one see that? No, no one saw that. And now we all completely doubt you. Adds to the tragedy of this character where she's like, she lost her mom and everyone doubts her because she's in the wheelchair. And now even further, it's just like, oh, are you going crazy now? Because you think like the doll did it? A thing where it's like, it's not trying to build dumb suspense. It's actually trying to build this character and put her in like this position that we want to see her get out of. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. And yes, they do do it in the next one. And, and I'd argue eh, it's not as good as they do it in this one, for lack of a better phrasing. But yeah, it's super solid in this. I, I love that whole play on the character and the the sort of the surrounding side characters too, especially with the husband. Yes, I mean it's so good, you know, and it just his ultimate where he thinks he's figured it out. He's like, "Why the fuck would you do that?" You know, and you're like, "Oh no!" <laughs> like it, you know, I need you to give me the shot. I need you to do this, please. It just, oh, oh, it's so the tension. That's the one thing about this movie. I'd argue over all of them, it has such a building tense attitude about it and it's so wrought with tension the whole movie and it's such a build up build up build up release build up build up build up release it does it incredibly well yeah and i think a, a big part of it is that like everybody even more like on paper ian the brendan elliott character could be just like the most stock asshole in any of these movies but yes. like you get from his perspective why he's acting this way about just like you have you done something oh, yeah. to my daughter and my wife who i was already on like <laughs> really bad shaky ground with and this woman who i wanted to fuck the babysitter like you can see how Right. Like, even though he's, like, clearly, like, a guy who's kind of an asshole, he still is, like, an actual dimensional human being. Everyone is. Which, I think, makes it way better. It's a thing where, like, people often give, like, slasher movies the pass of, like, oh, it's a slasher movie. You don't have to have great, compelling characters. That's not that necessary. This movie's just like, oh, no, you can do that. It can still be great. You can also still have awesome kills. Like, we even haven't talked about, like, aside from the priest one, which is stellar. There's so many other great kills. Yeah. Like, even the way uh, Madeline McConnell as Jill dies with, like, the laptop. So, yeah. so good. <laughs> so upsetting to mm -hmm. see. Or even um, the, the Barb's death with, like, the fucking right through the eye. And the buildup even where she, like, unmasks Chucky or whatever. So good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That whole scene with her in the fucking attic trying to find the daughter is terrifying. Because she's holding the killer the whole time. Like, you know what's going to happen, dude. And yeah, that I will say, I did not expect the, when I first saw this, the peeling of the face to show the scarred Chucky and everything. Because until they show, uh, you know, spoiler, Tilly on the screen at the end, I thought this was like a direct sequel to like the second or third one. I didn't even know that they were even honoring Bride and Seed in this. Well, I, it almost feels like a full reboot in a way where like, despite some of like the ending callbacks that they do, like... I've recommended this to people who just as like a jumping point, like shout out to sequels show yep. where we've had people on. I recommended Sarah to be like, hey, why don't you watch uh, fucking Curse of Chucky? It's a great one. She's like, 
are you Josh and me, Thomas? Are you sure about that? Mm-hmm. And they were all like, no, this is a great fucking movie. This is a great jumping in point. Like, if you've not seen any of these movies and you want a good jumping in point, I would recommend Curse, and you can kind of go back to the other ones and kind of enrich your enjoyment of Curse. But Curse is, like, a perfect point to, like, jump in on while still, like, some of these other things happen for the fans at the same time later. That's why it's kind of, like, the perfect example of, like, a soft reboot of a franchise. Yeah, I agree. Especially in the fact that while watching this, like you said, it almost will make you want to go back and watch some of the other ones to find out how the, all this happened and stuff, but it won't detract from your enjoyment of this one. It can only enrich it. But yes, that is the perfect idea for a soft reboot to where you're going to get new fans invested in the series going forward and they're going to want to go back and rewatch it. And fans who have been there the whole time are going to get those little Easter eggs and moments for themselves that feel like it's kind of there for the fan base. Yeah, it's it's totally successful in that. And we've, we've kind of like talked around him a bit, but um, obviously Chucky himself, um, Adam, you've kind of mentioned like some of the stuff with his appearance and stuff. How did you feel about this redesign, especially that you said this is the first time Chucky's kind of felt scared to you. Why do you feel that with him in particular? I don't know if it's the way the haircut is. I don't know if it's the more angular nature of the face, uh, especially when he turns. Like when he first seen me, he still got like the round cherub face. But when he turns into full like charles lee ray chucky it 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 takes on almost and i i thought this when i first saw it and i don't know if this is accurate but it's kind of the way i felt he almost looks like um an anime character with the way the eyes are and the the brow and all that stuff like it looks like something completely out of this world and it it works extremely well to me well i think that's why it works to me is like as a dude who really liked toys as a kid and especially like grew up seeing like how certain toys would come back from like an earlier generation it feels like this is like the good guy doll that would have been released in 2013 to kind of get both modern kids but also like yeah. people who are nostalgic in a way they even reference with the one guy just like oh man the 80s were awesome i love these good guy dolls they're great like almost an anti-80s nostalgia movie that this is yeah that's real that's a really good point dude uh when i was a kid i had a my buddy doll Mm-hmm. what the good guys are sort of based on. And I th- I want to say they did a reboot of that, but I know I had a My Pet Monster, and they re-released that, and they completely streamlined the whole look of it. And I I never really put it together that way, but I think that's 100% accurate. I think what you just said kind of reinforced why I, it's so out of place and sort of creepy to me, because it is this sort of commercial bastardized version of something that, you know, you might have loved as a child. Which, at the same time, was also, like, inherently at the time, was also crass and commercial and trying to appeal to you. It was just original at the right, time. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I think, also even works for, like, the sort of background, because we also get the first time we've seen Charles Lee Ray in one of these movies since the opening of the original movie. Which, admittingly, mm-hmm. the most unintentionally funny stuff is seeing them attempt to make Brad Dorif look like he did in 1988, and he just looks like Tommy Ooh. Wiseau. <laughs> With that fucking wig. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not great uh, but at the same time I think what also works is that it gives you a bit more insight into Charles Lee Ray as a character where before like all we saw of him in the earlier movie was him like running away and he's just like oh I gotta run away with my getaway driver which this doesn't quite fit with that because I don't think he ever referenced Eddie Caputo being his getaway no. driver to get him out of this no but whatever instead we get a bit more about like how he seduced the mother of the family the, the Pierce family um, after a certain point, they like kidnapped her while she was pregnant with the Nika character, and it's just like this unsettling scene where he 
like talks to her and it's mostly black and white except for like the sunflowers which is a great look that, that visual looks so stunning we see charles lee is like oh instead of just just a blue collar criminal it's just like also he was like a serial killer with obsessive issues which i think makes it all the more creepy yeah and it makes it so much more just disturbing and creepy the fact that you've been following nika this girl who's you know handicapped and everything and then come to find out it's his fault too yeah like because he's the mother and the the good god (laughs) like you're like oh fuck no yeah it's uh no that's the thing they made him scary again be it the charles e ray or the chucky doll even though yes the wig looks ridiculous (laughs) but the way he's talking to her when she's sort of almost crucified down in the basement and the way he's talking to her and stuff it's so scary and unnerving that really fleshed out the Charles Lee Ray character as a whole, where he's not just this random serial killer. It's not just this, the like a version of the Zodiac killer or the guy from Dirty Harry, where he's just this violent guy. He's got this weird sense of morals and this obsessive compulsive and just sort of stalkerish aspect to him that really fleshes him out and makes him more of a uh, full rounded character. And it's, more terrifying because of it and it doesn't negate much of like what we saw of even chucky from this point on where he's like he's got the obsession with the kids but also i think this has one of the best examples in that sequence of an easter egg that doesn't distract too much from the movie where you're still in the middle of like all this chaos and you're still like in the middle of like oh my god this emotional tension but he picks up that knife and it's the exact knife from the first fucking movie with the weird like red thing on the side that's like the perfect yep. way to do a fucking Easter egg, which is like, it's there. It's like, oh, it's that thing. Also, I'm still terrified by this knife that's about to stab this woman. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I thought that too when I first saw it. I was like, oh, that fucking goofy looking knife. All right. <laughs> like, hell yeah. This movie sort of brought me back in and made me more of a fan of the Child's Play, at least the story Mancini's trying to tell with it. Uh, just for the ballsy nature of this as a whole. I mean, not only is it really well done, really well acted, great looking beautiful locations and everything but it's sort of the creator of the original and everything going back and be like no 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 i can do it better here we go and it's really fucking solid dude yeah and even the reinvention of the fact that like nika has a tragic ending with this movie in a way where it's like how we kind of mentioned that was ignored in three which is like andy gets shipped off to fucking prison and this movie just like oh no this is the first child's play movie where like chucky totally wins in a way that really works for the series which is like oh my god she's gonna like be locked into prison no one believes her in the mental asylum and he ends up getting shipped over to that little girl by tiffany jennifer Tilly, who's always fun in these movies and particularly oh, in yeah. this one right. too which is particularly the whole bit at the fedex or whatever when they ship it off and just like uh my mother always said i couldn't put a price on love under 250 dollars <laughs> which is a great yeah yeah, yeah. I love is that. Is it an animal? Is it a? Is it a vegetable? Is it a? Ah, let's just go with other. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a really fun, even shout out to like her first appearances for killing the cop in a very similar way to how the cop is killed in Bride of Chucky. Another great little Easter egg bit. Um, but but then yep. like she ships off that thing that Chucky to that kid and her grandmother who are implied to be killed horribly, <laughs> and even we see the the one killing and then. That fucking post credit scene. Stellar. Yeah, so good. We get Alex Vincent back. He's got a new package. 
and he's just like, hmm, oh, I guess I'll just put this on the table, and Chucky gets the knife, he's just like, oh, he's gonna kill Andy, but nope, Andy's got that gun, fuck you, kid. Uh, that's That alone was more satisfying to me than Jamie Lee Curtis being a similar character in Halloween 2018. Oh, yeah, no, I definitely agree. Yeah, he puts a package on the table, he's talking to his mom, yeah, I know it's my birthday, don't get me anything. What are we having for dinner? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Chucky's slowly cutting through the package. And, you know, calms out. He's like, eh. Andy, wait. Play with this motherfucker. Close <laughs> <laughs> his brain. It's so good. It's so good, dude. Criminal, yeah, but like the Netflix version cuts that end credit scene because it's so good. Do they? I didn't know that. Yeah, on streaming versions, like when I shout out to sequels once again, like on Netflix, that's where they all watched them. Just like, you guys got to watch this post credit scene, though. It's really great. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, maybe because that's what makes it unrated. I mean, that or Netflix is just like, whatever, fuck credits. We got to watch something else now. That's true. You liked this. How about watch this? My Hero Academia or whatever the fuck. <laughs> you like anime boy, Chucky. You can watch anime boys. <laughs> right. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But Adam, we, we could talk for a while about Curse of Chucky. But let's go ahead and wrap up final thoughts. Your final thoughts on Curse of Chucky. Especially, we've been gushing praise. Is this the maybe the best of the series? Yeah, I think hands down it's the best of the series. I mean, there are contenders. Uh, I'd put two and Cult right up there. But this is the best of the series. It, not only did it breathe new life completely into the franchise it stripped it down to almost the bare bones of it and uh it didn't reinvent the wheel but man did it polish it i mean this thing is just fucking a top not solid slasher psychological almost a haunted house story from beginning to end the Great performances, great kills, great cinematography, everything. This movie pretty much works on every level. And how weird is that? Like, in a horror franchise, that like, oh, one of the direct-to-video sequels is the best one. Like, that almost never happens. No, it doesn't happen. I mean, really, it doesn't. Well, I think, to be fair, when we get to the double redo, I think you're going to point out one yeah, that... There's, there's, there's one or two. I might point out two. I might point out two. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it, let's put it this way. It's extremely insanely rare. For sure. And I mean, I, I echo a lot of those sentiments. I think this is a great movie. I think it, it shows that like a, a concept like Chucky, which despite the fact that like, I know a lot of people were like, I point out some of these serial killers, like who's your favorite of like these 80s slashers or like who's the one that scares you? A lot of people say Chucky. And I think just more in the abstract as opposed to like actually engaging with these movies as like a series when you get to something like curse you can see that like a movie about a doll that kills people you don't have to immediately dismiss that or make a bad version of it you don't have to be a charles band and make 50 of those movies um you can actually make like a really great invested engaging like series that tells an interesting like story all along the way for the most part and then when we get to curse it's just like even when we're fucking six movies in we can do something so spectacular and different in a way where it's like it reinvents so much and it just made me really respect this franchise even more and Don Mancini particularly as a creator to the point where like after this and Cult, which if you see this and like this one, also watch Cult because Cult is just like, okay, you guys like are settled in good with the like really solid version of Chucky killing a bunch of people in a small place. Here's the crazy version of that where I'm going hog wild <laughs> doing weird shit, which teases the stuff for the new show, which... Honestly, like, these two movies alone made me so excited for that show. I'm so happy it's happening. I am watching, later on the day this episode's released, that fucking premiere. Because I just want to see what the fuck is going to do with eight episodes of television of this. Yeah, I'm definitely curious, for sure. Um, but, before we get into our next segment, here is a message from the ESO crew that we fully endorse. Welcome to Dr. Geek's 
Laboratory. Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO Network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. So now we are doing our weekly segment, The Double Review, where every week uh, Adam and I talk about uh, the best and worst possible double feature to go along with the particular topic of an episode. And keep in mind, when we do franchises like Child's Play, uh, we open things up to um, include films that aren't just part of the franchise, but also kind of be inspired, like movies that influence the franchise from the past or films from people that were involved in the movies or et cetera, stuff like that uh, for any, you know, potential good or bad feature that we might talk about here. So Adam, you have two good and two bad choices you want to recommend and not recommend respectively. Uh, what are your choices? Okay. So this was uh, kind of a curious way to play this one. I, I wasn't sure if I should just do doll movies, if I should, how I should do it. So what I decided on horror franchise that had direct to video sequels and or soft reboots or things like that, and whether or not they were good or bad. So for my good ones, I have, uh, which I'd argue is the best of the franchise, the only one kind of worth a damn in the franchise, is the Joe Lynch sequel to the original Wrong Turn, Wrong Turn 2, Dead End. It's a batshit crazy movie. It's pure camp violence. It's nutty. It makes that franchise... uh, more fun than it had any right to be instead of just being like a hills have eyes ripoff it's almost like texas chainsaw massacre 2 mixed with the hills have eyes like it's crazy shit it's really fun really solid great henry rollins uh it's just it's a really really wacky fun movie that the franchise has never captured before or since and then for the other one i have which i absolutely also think is the best of the franchise uh the very recent leprechaun returns um, that I believe was released straight to sci-fi. Um, it's a direct sequel to the first movie, and it fucking kind of slaps on all levels. It is a perfect sort of sequel soft reboot, much like I, I would say The Curse of Chucky was. Um, the Leprechaun's actually kind of scary in it. Uh, it's not as crazy jokey. There are jokes in it, but it, the violence is really solid. Pretty good supporting cast to the chaos. Uh, I think it's just super, super fun and, and maybe got sort of uh, pushed away because of the Leprechaun Origins that came out before it, which is just atrocious. And for my bad, if you've listened to the show for long enough, you've probably sort of gleamed that I'm a big Barker fan, I, I big Hellraiser fan, things like that, which is very hard to do with the Hellraiser movies. Uh, but I like most of them for sev- separate reasons. Um, but the absolute bottom of the barrel, as far as I'm concerned, of direct-to-video sequels, would be the Hellraiser Revelations that Dimension Extreme put out, and they had to push it out so they wouldn't lose the rights. It's insulting to fans of horror and Hellraiser fans in general. It is the worst pinhead, the worst makeup effects, the worst visual effects, the worst cast, the worst story. There's incest. I believe the characters, the families are Barker and Craven. So just laziness on that aspect. It is just almost unwatchable unless you are curious about how to make a movie 
the worst possible way you can when there's already been bad ones before it. And then the other one I have, it, it reminds me of almost like the childhood whimsy of Child's Play and maybe things that you loved as a kid coming back to, to try to hurt you or kill you. Um, I have the Banana Splits movie. I was super kind of excited for this one because obviously it just looks like a Five Night at Freddy's sort of deal, which I would say the Nick Cage movie that came out, Willy's Wonderland, is a very much more that than this one. That being said, this feels like a pale imitation of even that movie. Really ugly to look at. There's this, it's not shot well, and they're sort of pining for nostalgia for a property that nobody really gives a shit about, or maybe never has to that aspect. Like, I understand the banana splits were a thing at some point, but does anybody care? No. And it, it, it dives too hard into that. They're super fans of this franchise or this IP that don't exist and it's just the kills are lazy the gore is not even that good characters are terrible the acting's awful it's just it's a lousy lousy movie um yeah i have seen um at least your two good ones and i very much agree with a uh, wrong turn 2 is pretty stellar i haven't seen the sequels that follow because i've heard such bad things but even compared to the theatrical first wrong turn it is like miles ahead and there's a lot more stellar stuff like fucking henry Rollins showing up or Patton oswald has a cameo vocally um, or even, like, the kills are pretty stellar in that one. I think, yeah, that that one is a solid pick, for sure, especially, like, some of the best directed video sequels in general. And Leprechaun Returns is similar to that, even though it was, like, a sci-fi channel original movie of sorts. Um, it was, it's definitely, like, miles ahead of the Leprechaun franchise, which ranges in the various entries from kind of enjoyably bad to abysmal. <laughs> With some of those, like, the only other one I would say is kind of fun is, like, three? Where he's in Vegas? So, that one's kind yeah, of fun. I agree. Um, but otherwise, yeah, most of them are really fucking terrible. But Returns, yeah, is like so stellar. It's from the guys who did Psycho Goreman. They add that kind of similar sense of fun to that series. And shout out, they got fucking uh, Francis back from the first movie. Yep. yep. Francis came back. Um, Hellraiser is when we've talked, like, off mic in particular about. Like, I have not seen most of those sequels. I have a feeling given that Hulu movie is coming out next year, supposedly, without Jamie Clayton. Um, which everyone's, yeah. some people are in a tizzy about, which I'm just like, what? Look, that's just the most interesting thing, honestly. Is 100%. Like, yeah, the trans woman is going to play Pinhead. That's miles different than, like, what I've heard with Revelations, I believe, is the first one without Clive Barker. Right? Or, sorry, no, I'm, uh, the, the, who's the guy who plays Pinhead in the other movies? Yeah, it's the first It's the first one without Doug Bradley or Clive Barker wanting to be attached as producer. Well, I mean, even, yeah, because he, I guess, had, like, an executive producer credit in some of those bad ones, but even he was just like, I'm not bothered. <laughs> with that you know just to tell you how bad this movie is with clive barker produced things there's been a lot of shit clive barker's exact quote was there's a movie coming out that said it's from the mind of clive barker that's not true it's not even from my asshole <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, I've heard very bad things about that one where especially the the guy's trying to do a doug bradley but looks just kind of like uh, puffy from what i've seen just looks really puffy um whatever we'll put a pin in hellraiser because I'm sure, given that movie's coming out on Hulu next year, that's probably the franchise we're doing in October next year, which will be interesting. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, put a pin in that, everybody. But Banana Splits was also one, like, I'd heard about that. I'm like, well, this is a weird way of reprising something. Like, I vaguely recall mostly because when I was a kid, Cartoon Network had this thing called Boomerang, where they would show old cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, this old, like, kind of live-action thing where it would just be, like, these interstitial skits that would happen between cartoons in the 70s which is these guys in fucking suits, and we're turning that into a horror movie. That sounded kind of interesting, but I heard, like, oh, it's kind of, like, a disappointing 
bad movie. And especially, like, look, if you're going to make any Hanna-Barbera thing into a horror property, there's an obvious answer. Funky Phantom. Yeah. Yeah, or uh, that stupid shark. <laughs> his name is Jabberjaw. You respect his fucking name. Yeah. You son of a bitch. You talk like Curly. <laughs> yeah, he showed up at uh, Space Jam 2, so there's interest. Yeah, and the fu- no Funky Phantom, though. Um, if you're unaware, by the way, oh. Funky Phantom was like a Scooby-Doo ripoff show. Where it was like, Hanna-Barbera did like 15 of those shows where it's like, it's a bunch of kids and a blank. And in that case, it was a uh, like barren ghost of some sort who kind of talked like Paul Lind, I believe, if I recall right. It's a very bad show. Yep. Um, those are all very interesting choices, Adam. But I've got mine here that I want to share. So for my two goods, um, I think with my picks in general, by the way, I kind of did half of what you did, but also half of like sort of like little thing attacking movies, basically. Because um, I do have a really good direct-to-video sequel amongst my picks. I'm going to go ahead and start off with that. Um, one of my goods, my first good, is Phantasm 3, which if you don't know, Phantasm is a pretty fun franchise from Don Cossarelli. The first movie is one of the most interesting surreal indie movies to come out of the 70s. Two is like a fun, big-budget theatrical sequel that kind of failed. And then three, it's not better than either of those two, but it's a really solid entry in that franchise. With It has that same kind of surreal visuals. Angus Grimm is very fun. And uh, they introduce a new character. I apologize, I forgot her name, but uh, this like black lady who has like nunchucks, who's dope. And I was just like, why wasn't she in more of these fucking movies? She's great. I love seeing her kick ass against the tall man. It's definitely of the, like, that series went direct-to-video, and the ones afterward are very bad. But I think three is when that gets kind of dismissed amongst, like, people who have even heard of the Phantasm movies. And 3 is a really stellar one. I would say anybody who's curious about this movies, watch the first three. They are quite fun. Um, in I think, you know, especially even with a direct-to-video movie, that one still fits as a worthy sequel, which is also very rare, if nothing else, for direct-to-video horror sequels. Um, but then the other sort of, like, um, doll of some sort that's uh, attacking, in this case, it's a very unique version of that. I have a movie from 1978, but it's a pretty stellar one, called Magic which uh, stars a young Anthony Hopkins. Weird thing to picture. It's very dis- disorienting when you watch that movie. Just like, oh my god, he was young at a certain point? He looked like middle-aged as opposed to old as fuck, but he was young at that time. And he plays a ventriloquist who is basically under the influence of his dummy called Fats. And that movie is a stellar example of, like, the Fats isn't actually, like, alive, but the Fats sort of, like, personality is influencing Anthony Hopkins' character in a way that's, like, a really good psychological drama that becomes like a horror thriller kind of concept as it goes along. And it's really well done. It's directed by Richard Attenborough. (laughs) Yes. The guy from Jurassic park who also made Gandhi right after this one Oscar for directing Gandhi made this movie beforehand. Um, And it's a spectacular little movie that I think has kind of gotten lost a bit to time, but it's really stellar. And also look up the teaser trailer for this movie. It's unnerving. (laughs) Like if I was a little kid and I saw that in like 1978, I would be mortified. Uh, but yeah, really stellar, underrated of like the sort of like killer or evil doll movie. Um, and then for my bad, I have a One is a Killer Doll movie that came out earlier this year. I give a lot of credit to um, the guy who stars in this also wrote and directed and produced it. And it's a very low budget production, but it doesn't look that bad. It's uh, Benny Loves You. I give him a lot of credit for managing to make the small movie. And it doesn't look like a terrible movie at all, um, but it's a pretty unfunny 
horror comedy, basically about this guy who works for a toy company and he's kind of like this loser schlub who like lives with his parents but also doesn't have any adult agency of his own and it just feels like he's like arrested development stuck as a kid even though he's like 35 and then his parents die and he ends up reorganize the house and make like actually live on his own but his uh, stuffed animal who they say is a bear but it looks like a rabbit it clearly looks like a fucking rabbit um ends up coming to life and basically killing for him and it, I just thought it was a pretty unfunny horror comedy, despite looking pretty solid for a small budget. On just its surface, it is still just like a movie with like a bunch of characters I don't really give a shit about, and not that many like interesting kills or laughs in particular. It is pretty much a dead zone for me in terms of laughs that I was not a huge fan of. And speaking of that, I have another horror comedy. But this one is in Star Doll. It stars um, at least of uh, some very funny people involved with this little uh, sort of tumor monster in Bad Milo which was a movie I'm sure most of you aren't aware of. But basically, it is about this guy played by Ken Marino, who's a very funny guy. And there are a lot of funny people in this movie. But basically, he gets these like uncomfortable pains like in his intestines area. And as it turns out, there's like a demon may have intestines living in his butt. And you figure, oh, is that going to be the only joke of the movie? Yes, it is. It's a bummer. But yeah, there are a lot of really funny people in Bad Milo with like not just Ken Marino as a star, but also like Jillian Jacobs from Community, who I love, Stephen Root, who we love on here. We just talked about him last week, Peter Storm Mayer, Patrick Warburton, Kamel Nanjiani. A lot of funny people in that movie, but unfortunately, uh, it just does not give anything for all the talented people to do whatsoever. It's a really uh, a huge dearth of laughs for me. I've seen You're Too Good. Um, I absolutely love magic. I think magic is really solid psychological sort of horror piece. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is great. And that dummy is fucking scary. And that trailer alone is just, it's incredible. And Phantasm 3, dude, the thing is, like before I saw that movie, because I didn't see it for a long, long time. I, I'd seen the first one and the second one. And then I just never kind of went back to the franchise and, and until Angus Grimm passed away and went back and rewatched them all. How did that chick with the nunchucks not, not come up in any more movies? I mean, she's nunchucking the phantasm balls out of the sky. She was really predominantly featured in the trailer. And I just thought she was so cool with like the red bandana headband and all that shit. And I, yeah, I absolutely love that character. Uh, by the way, the actress who I forgot to mention, uh, Gloria Lynn Henry S. Rocky is that character. Yeah. Fuck she's yeah. awesome. She's so good. And, you know, I didn't mind the recasting in part two. It was fine to me. I actually kind of preferred that him as an actor, but, you know, whatever. They brought everyone back for the third one, and it just sort of stayed the original cast uh, till the end, which, again, four is okay. Don't watch Ravager. Um, it's just ultimately depressing. And then I've heard nothing good about Bad Milo. I almost watched it a couple times because of that cast, but I just never pulled the trigger on it, and now I'm really glad... I, I didn't. And also for the Benny Loves You one, I was actually kind of surprised that you picked it uh, just because we've had a friend of the show sort of recommend it a couple times and to kind of sing its praises a little bit. So I'm actually kind of surprised that you didn't like it so much, but I really trust your opinion when it comes to that stuff because we're pretty similar when it comes to taste, at least in horror. Uh, so I will definitely avoid that one as well. I mean, yeah, I'm a bit more on an island with Benny Loves You. I've heard a lot of people praise it. I don't necessarily dissuade anybody from watching it. It's not, like, the worst. It, it's a much better movie than I would say Bad Milo is, for example. <laughs> um, but, and it's, like I said, very impressive that it was made on, like, the low budget that it was. But I, I still was just, like, not huge into it. But, you know, different strokes for different folks, especially with both horror and comedy, are very subjective. 
compared to others. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, but yeah, those are our double redo picks. Please send your own um, on that. And uh, we'll go ahead and repeat our titles, by the way, real quick here, um, just to, to make sure you all get them. Uh, my good picks were Magic from 1978 and Phantasm 3. And then my bad picks were Bad Milo and Benny Loves You. And my good picks were Leprechaun Returns and Wrong Turn 2, Dead End. And my bad picks were Hellraiser Revelations and the Banana Splits movie. By the way, that was Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead. That's what the Yeah, come on, man. Get your shit together. Oh, I'm such a fake Phantasm girl. I'm sorry. Ooh. All the Don Castle <laughs> boys are going to beat me up. But uh, thank you all uh, for listening to us do that we're doing. We also want to thank some other people here. We want to thank Chris Oliver, who does the intro and outro music for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. Follow him at Night of Water. That's night with a K underscore of underscore water. Uh, for more of his great stuff, there will be a link tree where you can see a bunch of his places where he has art available. And also thanks to our patrons, patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for $1 a month, you get a lot of stuff, I would argue. You get a bang for your single buck, I would say, where uh, we put out polls where you guys get to pick either movies or topics we cover for the show, and also a bunch of bonus audio. Uh, like, coming up, I think around the time this is uh, posted up, there will be a new On the Edge of Relevance where we talk about very new releases and spoilery uh, detail with a demarcation point. Um, we'll be talking about the latest James Bond film, No Time to Die, which as of this recording, neither of us have seen. Uh, but I've heard some interesting things. I'm very curious to see that, and especially see where uh, Adam lies on that, because he's not as big on most of the Daniel Craig films, as we talked about in our James Bond episode. Yeah, I can't wait to, for all six hours of that, or however fucking long it is. <laughs> yeah, two hours, 43 minutes. i got to carve out a decent amount of my weekend to see that, Bubby. Um, <laughs> but along with yeah. that, uh, coming up later in the month, we love doing at least one big bonus episode every month, uh, where we you know do sometimes an audio commentary, sometimes we do... Um, like a big March Madness thing we've done in the past, but this time we're doing a top 10 list. And oh boy, Adam, yeah, this yeah. is going to be one that's tough for us to narrow down because uh, we're doing our top 10 horror movie deaths. So not just kills, but any kind of like big drag death sequence as well in a horror movie. Uh, we've been trying to narrow that down so we can record the episode and it has been rough for these two horror loving boys. It's been uh, insanely difficult, insanely, insanely difficult, but I'm also... Very, very excited to get into it and uh, sort of see where we lay, if we have similar ones or not. But we uh, also uh, want to recommend, if you want to find us on social medias, please uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDVPod, where we post a bunch of fun stuff. Um, every day, I try and post something like fun about the movies that we've covered on this particular week's episode, like videos and behind-the-scenes trivia, whatever I can find. Um, and, uh, also, uh, you can email us feedback, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. I'll spell down. We'll most likely read it on the show here. And if you can't support us on the Patreon for the $1 a month, that's cool. You can help us out with at least a one-time purchase of uh, some merchandise of ours. It's over on the T Public store, uh, for the ESO network. There'll be a link in the description for that, where you can buy a t-shirt or you can buy a mug or you can buy all sorts of apparel with our wonderful logo on it. Uh, it helps out because we get a bit of a kickback from that that helps out the show, Adam. So uh, what should they do exactly? To impersonate you. Buy our moich! Buy our moich! Oh yeah, that's the Adam Thomas doll with all sorts of catchphrases, mostly to encourage you to buy more merchandise after you've bought the Adam Thomas doll. Yeah, that's all he wants. That's a very soulless company. <laughs> 
<laughs> the most transparent company. Just like, buy more of our products. <laughs> buy eight of these. <laughs> buy them all. You see this shelf I'm on? Buy all my friends. <laughs> buy the shelf. Fuck it. <laughs> oh, yes. And uh, for more of our uh, silly antics individually, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxes at NotTheWho'sTommy, where I post plenty of fun things on my own. Also, I do some writing at both uh, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and Film-Crit.com. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. And you can also find me on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N, son. Yes, and uh, for more of our audio antics, subscribe to us on places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on ESO, why not listen to all the other great shows on the network? And uh, you can also dig into our archives on our Podbean main feed, where uh, we posted several episodes even before we joined ESO. So many episodes, and we're at 178. It's crazy. That many fucking episodes. (laughs) Been a lot, and uh, we'll keep doing them. Uh, But... It would help us out if, you know, you can't buy the merch or if you can't support us on the Patreon for the $1. Totally cool. understand money can be tight. But it would also help us out if you really like the show or you really just want to share it around. Just are really like, hey, you know what? This is a fun podcast to listen to to distract you from whatever's going on in your life. Please just uh, rate, review, or share the show around. That helps us out. That gets us more visibility. That gets more people to enjoy are back and forth here. It is everywhere you fuckers might be on the internet. So there is severely a problem with the lack of love. And I am against it. I am enraged. And I want to pick it. <laughs> you want to pick it, people not sharing this shit? Yep. yep. I'm just <laughs> going to walk around in my driveway in my underwear and just with a picket sign that says, you fuckers, and that's it. I'm sure they'll really get the message across. <laughs> and really the most important cause to be picketing right now, of all the causes to picket for in our world right now, it really is Adam being upset that you don't share the show clearly. What else is there to picket? No, what nothing, is going on? Nothing, no, nothing that's happening. Everything's great. We're fine. Right, We're fine. Right. How are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Adam, enough of that silliness. We gotta do our picking for next week like we do at the end of every show. Basically, uh, Adam and I usually each have uh, two movies of different quality. We switch off on good and bad quality. In the case of next episode, Adam has two good ones. I have two bad ones. And we assign each our choices a number between 1 and 10. And the other person usually picks a number between 1 and 10. Whatever that's closest to of the two choices ends up getting us our good and our bad feature. Unless someone implements <gasps> the Godfather rule. yes. We have this in our back pockets until uh, May of next year, which will be our upcoming anniversary. Adam and I each have a little veto in our pocket. So if we pick a number between 1 and 10 from the other person's choices and they say, hey, we're going to do X movie, that person will say, like, well, Adam, do you want to take the cannoli? And at that point, Adam can either say, yes, I want to take the cannoli, or no, I won't take the cannoli. We can only do that once in the next several months. So it's an important yep. thing to implement whenever we truly don't want to cover either a good or a bad pick. But um, let's see if that happens with our picking for next week. Uh, we like covering, you know, some kind of horror icon every October. Some sort of person that is really representative of the genre. And this time, uh, instead of doing an actor, we're doing an actress. And one who uh, I feel uh, is a great cheerleader for the genre. Adam, who are we talking about? We're talking about the lovely, the wonderful, the versatile, 
uh, getting better and better as she goes, Barbara Crampton. Hell yeah, Barbara Crampton. Babs, uh, our favorite. We, we, we're we not friends with her, but we'll call her Babs. If you Please be friends with us, Barbara. You seem like a very nice person in interviews and like podcasts I've heard you on. Yeah, she seems fucking cool as shit, dude. Like, yeah, I want to I want to be friends with her. I'd like to call her up. Be like, Babs, how do I balance my checkbook? <laughs> can you also tie this in somehow to reanimate her so I can understand it? Yes, 100%. Explain <laughs> it to me. Yeah, so we've covered a couple movies of hers on the show, like uh, Castle Freak and From Beyond. She's worked with uh, Stuart Gordon, the late great, quite a bit. Um, but uh, you have the two good picks, potentially, for her, Adam. I have the two bad ones. So this will be... Very interesting here. For your two good ones, though, I'm going to pick number six. Alrighty. At number seven, I have a movie that was released this year to actually a lot bigger uh, fanfare than usual for direct to, well, lightly released, but almost like a Shudder movie. I, I have Jacob's Wife. Oh, yes, the one with her and Larry Festin. It's kind of like a vampire movie, from what I understand. I've heard That's very a, good things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know what? I'm not going to veto that because I haven't seen it yet. I have a Shudder subscription, so I'm like, why not? That'll be a very interesting choice. I'm very curious to watch it. Uh, but, Adam, what was your alternative choice at what number? My alternative choice at number one, which actually is celebrating its 10-year anniversary today, I have Adam Wingard's You're Next. Oh, Your Next is great. I wouldn't have minded covering her next. That's a great fucking movie. She's very good in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, well, Adam, uh, she's she's done a lot of like sort of smaller horror movies. There, there's a lot of potentially awful ones we could get here, Adam. But for my two bad choices, please pick a number between one and ten. I'm going to go straight up number ten. Okay. At number eight, I had a movie um, that I have heard at least very mixed things on. This isn't one of the ones where I've heard this is the worst piece of shit ever. I've heard very mixed, interesting reception, and I was kind of curious because it had a really dope poster. An interesting kind of premise to it. I have, uh, from 2016, Beyond the Gates. Okay, cool. I haven't seen this one either. Uh, It's one that I've always kind of wanted to check out because of the poster, believe it or not. So, yeah, I'm I'm down for that, and I am not taking the cannoli. Well, yes, Adam, I'm I'm sure you're very happy about that because over at number two on the opposite side of things, I had a movie that I've heard is quite infamously terrible amongst horror fans uh, that has a lot of famous horror icons in it. I had Death House from 2017. That, that, uh, yeah, that might have been a cannoli on that one. No, that would have been 100%. I'm not rewatching that movie. Damn it. That could have had you use that. Damn it. If only that had been the opposite spot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to be fair, I'm, I've am i heard such dire things about that one. So uh, stay tuned for next time where we'll be covering uh, Beyond the Gates and Jacob's Wife. Two uh, very uh, recent films, especially for someone who's been involved in the horror genre since the 80s. Uh, she just, she works a lot. So we'll be talking all about her in those two films next time. But until then, Adam, wanna play? I'm gonna answer you in a whisper.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.